Hey guys, you're listening to episode 91 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. My name is Keelan, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Cody. Today, we're talking to Gary Ringer, founder and president of Lifesong for Orphans. Gary started his career in the food industry, operating a large family-owned business. As his business struggled, God led him to a crucial turning point that would set the foundation for an incredible journey. You won't want to miss this one. Before we get started, do you ever wish you could find more people who are passionate about generosity, serving their communities, and advancing the gospel? Do you wish you could interact with some of our fantastic podcast guests? Well, we have growing community groups on Facebook and LinkedIn where you can do just that. You don't need to have a financial finish line to join. All you need is a passion for glorifying Christ with whatever God's given you to manage. Look for the link in our show notes to learn more. And with that, let's get to the interview. All right, we're here today with Gary Ringer. Gary, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So why don't you just kick us off telling us a little bit about your background, maybe some of your upbringing, where your faith has been over the years? Sure. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian family. My dad has been my main mentor through life. Um, Dad passed away at 97, three years ago. Uh, Wonderful mom and dad. And dad was a lay pastor. We were living in a little town, 1400. At that point, it was 1000, Gridley, Illinois. And dad had a small feed business that I grew up with him in that. But yeah, but I was taught from little on that the most important thing is to be converted, born again, believer, with a faith that is more than just words, that it, it's a living faith that changes everything about life. And throughout high school, I knew that, but I never really committed my life to the Lord till I was a freshman in college. And freshman in college is when I gave my life to the Lord. And... Yeah, I have a brother and a sister. All of the grandkids basically are believers. So it's been a wonderful legacy that I've seen that started with, I had. I don't hardly remember my grandparents, but I remember my grandmas very well. They were special women of God. So I've been very blessed. Yeah. So from uh, there, how did you kind of transition into career And, you know, where did God start to move in your heart as you started to play out the story from there? Yeah. So growing up, I was a lazy kid. My big brother would make fun of me because even as I would mow our little lawn in Gridley, uh, I would have to break it into a couple of, you know, I, I didn't have tenacity. I don't know if you guys ever heard of The Working Genius by Patrick Lencioni. Um, yep. I am. I basically spell widget, but so as a as a grown up a kid, my my lowest thing was tenacity, and and so as I went to college, I was not a serious student. I wondered if I would ever fit in, and I got a degree in econ basically because I started out in business administration, but I went to econ because business admin, you needed 54 hours and econ, you needed 36 hours to get a major. (laughs) So, and I wanted to spend more time. I got involved with a uh, a group piano class that had a 
jazz musician that was teaching me how to play, and I love music. And so I got out and I went to work for Dad because I didn't know what else to do. I told Dad I had clept some classes. I don't know if you know what I mean by clept, but I had gone through summer school and I had got proficiency out of some classes. So I got out early in about three years with, with summer schools. And so I told dad before I worked for him, I wanted to just take off some time and learn to play the piano better. And dad looked at me like with a worried look, like who have I raised? (laughs) Uh, But anyway, he said no to that. So I started working for dad in a, in a small feed business and dad put me to work in the feed mill and but then I started getting out in sales and and dad was a great mentor he didn't knowing who I was he didn't want to put me totally out in sales because he knew I would burn out so he he was just a great mentor to me but shortly after I got to working for dad again a kind of a scared kid dad bought and sold feed and he introduced me to a supplier of ours that I went and got some materials from and that gentleman was a nutritionist and and dad had never really he bought and sold feed primarily this nutritionist taught me how to make the feed from scratch if you will kind of like making brownies from scratch versus buying it in a box to make it from and when i learned how to make it from scratch if you will what happened is our cost structure went down so much that we were able to make approximately twice as much on our main product we were selling to pig farmers in the area. So we were making twice as much, but it was also a lower cost for them. So that was a good combination. That extra margin gave us ability to start adding salesmen. And so the business started to grow. And by the time I was in my early 30s, I had gone from this scared kid, if you will, to loving business and someone thinking that I was quite the businessman, had had some success. And about that time, I visited a craft cheese plant uh, not far from our place, about an hour away. And I walked through different rooms of different processes in the food business, in, in the craft cheese plant. And I just realized how much bigger the food business was than the feed business. And so I just thought, I've got to get into this. And I just started networking around, and I met a a lady by the name of Suzanne that had a dream. She worked for a donut sugar company. I'm sure you're probably uh, familiar with the white donuts that you can eat with the donut sugar Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a dream to make all different colors of uh, flavors and sell them, but she needed somebody to blend it. She worked for this donut sugar company. She wanted to come out and form her own business. She was going to be the salesperson. She needed somebody to manufacture it. So I figured we know how to blend feed. No big deal, blending donut sugar. And and so we formed a second company. The first company was Ringer Feeds. Second company became Ringer Foods, and Dad and I were at that point 50-50 in each one. Now, Dad was really involved with the church at this point, and being a lay pastor, he was the lead pastor of our church. So he, frankly, was not spending a lot of time in the pig feed business, nor was he 
spending really any time in the food business. He was at this point pretty, gave me a pretty much open hand. But as we started that, I was dreaming big. And I told Marla, I'm in my early 30s now, Marla, my wife now of 46 years. And we, by the way, have 15 grandkids. So it's been a joy. But I told Marla, we're going to get rich and retire at 40. And we're going to live the American dream. So that was my mindset. Now, Dad and I would say often that the Lord owns our business. But it was more of a mentality of we certainly talked about it with our employees, talked about our faith. Our mindset was, as far as giving and generosity, was a post-tax tithe. That was our mentality. But but I also had this goal, as I just said, okay, babe, we're going to get rich and retire at 40. And as we started that business and got into it, though, two things were happening. One is we were losing money. We were doing well in feeds, but we were losing money in foods. Two is I was realizing from a gut level, I, I knew this before we were going to make food, but then it hit me that we are making food. And if I mess something up with pig feed, it's not a big deal. But they weren't. nobody was going to cook this donut sugar after it left our plant. And if somebody got sick, God forbid, we're going to hurt somebody. And I just started freaking out about that and got into a pattern where night after night, it was pretty much like clockwork. About one o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up in a cold sweat and um, just lie there thinking all kinds of dark thoughts, like, God forbid, we're going to kill somebody. And because it happened night after night, one, two o'clock, waking up, laying there, I just got sleep deprived. And then depression and desperation came on. I remember dad would quote Vince Lombardi, the famous coach, saying, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And that's the way I was. I, I just got into this depression. I couldn't think. My mind would just spin. I cried a lot. I had thoughts of uh, suicide. I, w- I was never close to committing suicide. I had a wonderful wife and three daughters, and my faith would not let me consider that. But I had thoughts. I was just a mess. It really taught me the fine line between being emotionally well and being a wreck, because I was a wreck. So at that point, I just started wanting out. But I cried out to the Father in the middle of the night. I couldn't get a piece about quitting. I think part of it, guys, was my pride. I didn't want to fail on anything. But it was also, I just couldn't get a piece, because we could have just shut that down, and Ringer Feeds was providing our family a great income. But through that, God used that brokenness to change my paradigm on business from what I say from ownership mindset to a stewardship mindset. And I basically wrote a contract with God. It was just a handwritten uh, contract on an eight and a half by 11 that said, Father, if you bless this Ringer Foods business, and I like to share, I did it with a business that was unsuccessful, not with Ringer Feeds that was doing well. It was, in a sense, a selfish prayer. If, if you bless this, we'll pay ourselves back with interest. And the contract was 8% interest a year. But then if we sell anything over and above, that will be used for ministry purpose. And that contract gave me purpose and courage to go on. 
and it was a life changer. But that's how I got into a, a different mindset on business. It was through brokenness. Yeah, Gary, I'd really like to hear what changed after signing that contract. What happened to your mindset and, and to your father's mindset as well? Yeah, well, it's a good question. And I would say the the first big change that happened that that has been the contract was a game changer, but it led to this main blessing that has been my main change in life. Before the contract, I was a converted, born-again believer, and and I looked to the Lord in many things. But I would say this, that prayer was more of a discipline. It was a, it was a discipline where, uh, just like reading the Bible, but it was something I did every day, and my mindset was, when I pray, I have to fold my hands, close my eyes, and if my mind wanders, then I got to slap my hand because I got to be focusing. So compare that. Now what's happening after the contract, right outside of our bedroom door, we live out in the country in, in kind of a, along a river, and nobody's around, and we have a hot tub outside. So it's right outside my bedroom door. And about that time, I had read two books on prayer. One book was written, it was a group of essays that was written by early Christians. These guys were right after Christ. And I, as I remember, uh, the book had maybe 30 or 40 essays. And a couple of them, as I recall, were on the Lord's Prayer. And what I noticed, or what hit me, was I had always known the Lord's Prayer memorize it as you guys probably have too but it wasn't the way I prayed and what struck me is this is the way these guys prayed and Jesus said the disciples said teach us how to pray and he told them so that was one aspect the other book was a book called too busy not to pray and it, and it talked about having a place that was really a great some place that you enjoyed to have quiet time that was restful and peaceful to you so with that in the background, what now happened is when you get into depression, and I was in pretty serious depression, you don't get out of it right away. So I've, I've made this contract. I have more purpose in what I'm doing, but I still wake up in the morning not knowing what I'm doing with the business. And even today, when I don't have any major issues, when I wake up first thing in the morning, my mind is just typically a little bit dark. Things seem overwhelming. So at that point, I'm coming out of depression, and I stumble out of bed, if you will, to the hot tub. And I get into the hot tub, and I say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> it's making me emotional. But if you will, I'm coming from a standpoint of being, okay, this is overwhelming. And then, I, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I had read a book by another gentleman that wrote a contract, Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade. And he wrote a book called The 13 Attributes of, of God I, or Christ. I'm not sure. But I just got into a pattern of thinking those attributes through. And I, I still do that 
today. It's been on my lifelong pattern. And the first four are God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's present everywhere. He's sovereign. Then the next four are he's truth, he's just, he's righteous, he's holy. And then the next four are he's faithful, he's never changing, he's love, he's mercy. And the last one, the 13th, is he knows me. So if you take that aspect, our Father which art in heaven, and you're coming from like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And then here's my father. So that's that's calming. The next line is in Jesus, our father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lost. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's easy when you're broken to be surrendered. Uh, it gets harder when you're pretty self-assured. But when you're broken, thy kingdom come, your will, not mine, Father. Then give us the day our daily bread. And then I would start thinking about, I would broke down my prayer in that one book it talked about three parts of prayer. I would pray for my family, but then I would pray for my ministry, and then I would pray for others. And when I think of ministry, it was all about work. So I would start asking my almighty, now tangible business partner, what do I do about this and what do I do about that? You know, before I didn't do that, it was like I believed in God, but it was more, I didn't, I didn't say, dear father, help me know what to do with Ringer Foods so I can get rich and retire. But, but now it's this more tangible partnership. And so I started asking him questions and I still made a lot of mistakes but I started, I really experienced God in a more of a tangible way in, in business things that happened. Uh, so that was my pattern, and that was a game changer. Even through the years, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Thankfully, I haven't had too many issues. But anytime I've had to struggle with somebody, whenever I say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, then God brings that to me. So it's just been a wonderful a prayer and and the key thing that I would like to say is my prayer life went from that discipline got a really focused to typically a forty five minute to an hour time out in the hot tub where I'm just reflecting I'm thinking about what I have to do I might fall asleep a little bit but it becomes like the favorite time of my day of hanging out with my father. So it went from a discipline to the favorite part of my day. My wife and I have a condo down in Florida, and we go down there, and we, we enjoy hanging out by the pool. Sometimes we don't talk. We'll just, we just are both doing our own thing. It, it's like hanging out with Marla, uh, but it's just now I'm hanging out with my father on a daily basis, and that's been a game changer. Now, one thing you asked, Cody, is about my dad. How did that change it for dad? It's interesting. My dad was my main mentor through life, so I'm going to say this with the utmost respect for my dear dad. But what happened years later when we got to a point where we, we were selling the business, dad had not written that contract. I had written it. Dad had signed it because we were partners, so we've signed it. But frankly, what happened is when we got the opportunity to sell the business years later, Dad said to me, 
hey, you know, if you want to give your your half away, that's fine. I want to give it for you, and I have a, a brother and a sister. So I'm gonna, ultimately, I want to um, pass it on to you and the other your other two siblings. But you know what you want to do with your half is fine. And I said, well, Dad, you signed a contract, and and uh, so I showed him the contract, and Dad was like. Oh, yeah. He did not want to go against the commitment to the Lord. So he believed it. But I I remember Dad sitting in my office with another pastor from another church that I had a high respect for, who was a business guy, too. And they were kind of like, they were asking me questions about this contract. And they were both kind of like, they just didn't quite get it at that time, the contract. And what I have seen, what I do believe is with this generation, the up and coming generation, there's much more. God is moving in this generation much more to think of business as missions than than my generation and my dad's generation. There was a book by Blackaby that you may know of, Experiencing God. And Blackaby, the, he's passed on now, but he said, if you really want to experience God, see where he's moving and join in that movement. And I see God moving with Christian business owners to become more stewards than I believe happened in years past. I think it's a wave that God is creating. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about as you laid out this contract years later, you're getting to the point of selling the business. And uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more of what's going through your head at that time. Did you experience any kind of hesitation as you're thinking, okay, this is real now. And also, what are you looking ahead to in terms of if you do plan to give that kind of a sum away, how are you even going to go about that? So what, what was going through your head at that time? Yeah, so first of all, I do believe that because the writing it down, if, even what I shared with my dad, writing it down and holding yourself accountable with other people that know it, it was never, ever a temptation for me to change that. I will say this, if we hadn't written it down, and then Dad, my main mentor in life, comes to me and says, well, you do whatever you want, but you know, I'm going to give it for our family. I would have wondered, if you know my personality, I'm very absent-minded by nature. And uh, I would have thought, well, what did we do? What did we say? And... I believe that if we hadn't written it down, that the journey would have never happened for multiple reasons. Number one, it just it just brought the accountability up to me. It was something my wife knew about. It was something even as we talked about with other family members, my brother and sister, they understood. It, it just, the, the writing it down and making it official and, and even signing our names to it was a big deal for us and it would be something I would highly recommend. So it wasn't a temptation at all to move away from that. It was an interesting journey. You know, at first the the business had no value and so it really wasn't an issue. But as the business started having a value, I then talked to my accountant friends that we'd worked with for years and they were Christian guys good guys. And I said, how do we give this business away? And they basically looked at me a little bit like a deer in a headlight, (laughs) like, what do you you mean? 
so I knew that even though I had high respect for them, that they didn't have the expertise. And then I just started searching and praying about it and, you know, experiencing God to lead me. And, and I heard about Ronald Blue and Associates. And I went to talk to them, got down in Atlanta, so I went to meet them. And when I told them my story, they said, you need to talk to Terry Parker at National Christian Foundation, who at that point was just the next door over in the same office building. So we talked to them, and and National Christian Foundation really guided us on how to, at that point, even before we sold, start gifting away a little bit of stock each year. So we got into a pattern of doing that. Um, what happened to me as time went on and the business became successful, I was enjoying it, but there was pressure with it. And I got to a point where I was really wanting to move on. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what the ministry would be, but I was just ready to move on to the second half. I had written a book by Bob Buford called Halftime, Success to Significance, and I was just ready. Then this is just an example of many things that had happened to me of where God was just really real and tangible, is at one point a company, it was like a private equity company, was interested in buying Ringer Foods. And I was interested in it. I was ready to move on. Uh, our business, the, the donut sugar idea never worked out. But what we ultimately did is we got into extrusion and we made Rice Crisp. And we were making Rice Crisp as an ingredient for three major companies, uh, companies that people would know, uh, General Mills, M&M Mars, and Quaker. And we were... And they needed good suppliers. They really helped us get to become a better organization and guided us. So it was a great experience working for those companies. But the thing that was always concerning to me, we had all of our eggs in, in three primary customers. So, and, and I was just getting ready to move on. So this private equity company comes and is interested in buying us, and I'm ready to do it. But Marla doesn't have a piece about it. So... One night, as we were going to church, frankly, on a Wednesday night, we're driving by one of our plants. We had two plants in our little town. And and I turned to Marla and I said, I'm mad at you. And she said, what? Why? And I said, because I'm ready to sell, but you don't have a piece about it, so I can't do it. I And you don't understand, babe, if we lose one of these customers, yeah, we're doing good, but we have borrowed money, and if we lose one customer, we're in trouble. And she said, Oh, Gary, you'll you'll figure that out. And I said, well, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> so that was pretty much the conversation in our little town. By that time, we were already at church. So within probably a week of that, I don't know the exact time, but it was very shortly thereafter, I was on a plane going down to Arizona where M&M Mars had a plan at that point, and I was going to be meeting with them. And I was reading the book by Chuck Swindle, called uh, The Mystery of God's Will, and I've got it right over here on the shelf somewhere. I hadn't said yes or no to the company, and I was just seeking, how do I know this? And the thing that struck me in the book, and you guys understand this, when you read something and God's talking to you, uh, he talked about don't let fear make your decisions. And I immediately thought of uh, Timothy where he said, God is not the spirit of fear. 
He's the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Just in the plane, 30,000 feet up or whatever, I knew that I was wanting to sell because of fear. And Marla was right. So I, I did my business with my customer. And that night I called up Marla from Arizona and I said, she answered the phone and I said, hey, babe, I got something to tell you. And she says, wait, I have something to tell you first. So I said, okay, ladies first. And she said, well, today, Gary, I was listening to Dr. Dobson, and he was interviewing Chuck Swindoll, the author of the book I was reading. And she said, he talked about that we shouldn't make decisions out of fear. And, and then she quoted Timothy too. God's not the spirit of fear power and love and a sound mind. And then she said, kind of cute, now, Gary, I don't want you to be mad at me. I don't want you to be mad at me. Uh, and I'll do, support you in whatever you do, but I don't want you selling out of fear. So I, I need to let Chuck Swindle know that I don't, uh, sometime. But from the same messenger, I had that same story. Chuck was a messenger, but it was spirit telling us both. And we were just kind of like, wow. It's pretty sweet how God is being so clear to us. So, so I told the private equity company no. And we kept on going. And the, the rest of the story is within a couple of years later, at a time where we were both at peace with it, God opened the doors in just a beautiful way for us to sell the company. Before with that private equity company, I can't say this for sure because I don't know all the details, but they, our understanding is they went broke. And, the, and their original deal they were going to give us was they were going to give us a certain amount, a small percent down, and their balance was to come in the next five years. And I was going to have to work there for five years. What happened when we sold we sold to a company that once the deal was made, I was done. And we got the full amount. And so the rest of the story is, I believe that if it wasn't for listening to Marla and, and her listening to the spirit, that life song and the other things happening would have never happened because we wouldn't have got enough to really launch us in ministry and so that was just another example of where God was just so clear and so faithful uh, that it's, you know, it's been really, really sweet to see him so tangible guiding my, my life, our life. Yeah, Gary, it's, it's really cool to me how Marla was able to identify that it's not just that she didn't want you to sell the business. It's she didn't want you to sell the business out of fear in order to obey the word of God. And that you received the same message at the same time. And just at yeah. the 11th hour, when you were ready to, to sell and uh, move on to the next chapter, and it has resulted, that obedience has resulted in something beautiful that I'd love to hear the inception story behind Life Song. How did you go from selling the business to what you're doing today? Yeah, so what happened is when the Lord opened the door and we did sell it, that happened in 2002. And I'll just tell you a quick story there, too. What happened is we had gotten to the point where we 
were at peace that we were going to maybe sell. And I, I've met with a consultant who basically, in this meeting, and it was on a Tuesday, the meeting, we talked about one of four options. Because he knew the business we were in. He had three people in mind that he thought potentially might be interested in in buying our company. But we talked about uh, another option. And that option was if I got a partner, because I had somebody in mind that maybe would come in and, and be basically the general manager of it and, and would be a part owner, and then that would give me freedom. So one idea was partially sell the company and have a partner, and the other was the approach one of three companies to sell. So we mutually agreed that I would talk to the potential partner first. And I met him, that was on a Tuesday, and already on Friday I met him. And I remember coming home just knowing in my gut it wasn't right with this and, and that I was going to pursue selling. It, it just I just knew I didn't have the piece and it just didn't fit. So I guys, I know exactly where I was. I was coming off the Tawanda exit, 10... 15 miles from home, and I, it was a Friday afternoon, and I checked my voicemail, and the voicemail said, Hello, Gary, my name is, and I'm forgetting the name, of, but he said, I'm from Kerry Foods. Kerry was a company that one of the companies we talked about maybe selling to, and you don't know me, but I know of you, and I'm just wondering, it would it be okay if we had dinner sometime? So that's all I knew. But it was a Friday, probably about 5.15 when I got that message. And I went home and I told Marlo, if this is Kerry calling us, uh, thinking about buying us, that they're one of the companies that we thought we would approach. Now, if this them calling out of the blue, this is pretty amazing. And um, so talked to Marlo, talked to, to Dad, and we just thought, Sounds like this may be a God thing, but I didn't know who he was. Well, I called him on Monday morning. And I found out he was the CEO of Cary North America. They're an Irish company, and they're a large company. And he was, in fact, interested in buying for us. So we went up there within a few days. They were from Wisconsin. We met halfway in between. We basically talked about it. Within a week, we met again, and we had a handshake deal. We did a little bit of negotiating. And that Friday was was Halloween, and by the 1st of February, the deal was closed. The Kerry people said they had never gone. It was probably one of the quickest and smoothest things they had ever done. And so it was just, we just had this piece that just the way God opened it, again, in a very unusual way that this was supposed to happen. And then I talked to a mentor of mine, and I said, what do we do with this money? And he said, don't just give it away, get involved with something. And and I mentioned before Bob Buford's book, Halftime, and from success to significance. And that was his basically message in halftime. Use the skill set that you have for something more directly involved with God's kingdom. And so Marla and I just started a daily prayer, and of course I had my hot tub experience, and so it was just a daily thing, not not a big deal, but we just a daily prayer, and then testing the spirits. How do we have peace about this? What do we do? And 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 we recalled one of the things we we just talked to some people about orphan care and what had happened to us 
probably maybe six, seven years before. I, I don't know the time. But it was after things were going smooth. In our church, we have uh, a morning service, and then we eat lunch together, and then we have an afternoon service. And she had gotten to know a gal. One of, one of her friends there was a younger uh, married lady in our church by the name of Marie. And and at one point, and this again is five, six years before, Marla came home and she said, Gary, it's just not right. They're wanting to adopt, but, but they're really struggling with the high cost. And she said, money should not be the reason a child doesn't have a home. We, we need to help them. So we did. And we had that experience of watching them bring that little boy home. They moved away ultimately, but we had that blessing of seeing that little boy come into our, their family in our church, knowing that we had played a background role in helping that happen. So that was one of the things that God brought to our mind, uh, along with scriptures like, you know, James one twenty seven, lots of scriptures that talk about God being the fatherless. And, and so and it made sense to me from a business mindset of what's costly to adopt, but then once you do, there's no cost. Uh, because the family takes care of the, raising the child. So it was strategic. And so that's what we felt we were going to do is we were going to get involved in helping people adopt. We were not as an agency, but as a fundraising help support to them to do that. And that ultimately led initially strictly, and uh, the idea was strictly our family foundation. But as we started that, within about a year, there was a lady that had started a ministry. I mean, the, the, this whole journey, once you're really a steward, God opens doors and shuts doors in ways that, that you just don't, even like the experiences I've just said. His ways are so beyond us. So what happened within a year or two after we're doing these adoption grants, a lady heard about us, and she had started a ministry years before in Ukraine. She had a young man in Ukraine that had a big vision, and she had been praying about God bring her somebody that, that could take over the ministry. And... We sold the business in 2002. In 2003, the fall of 2003, we took a trip over with Patricia, that was her name, and her husband, and we met Dennis from from Ukraine. And Patricia's ministry before had been more like blankets and things like that for orphanages that were former Soviet Union orphanages. But Dennis had this vision of getting the church involved. And so we went over there and we saw it. Just me and Dennis just clicked, and we came back convicted that, yeah, this made a lot of sense. But I tell people that I've been twice broken because, as far as this ministry because, frankly, first he broke me with a business. But, frankly, when we came back and we thought, okay, if we're going to help them do this, this is big. This is too big for us. And Marla, she handled our charities. She didn't really like this think the idea she doesn't like it when people ask her for money and now we're going to be asking for money and i'm thinking i'm a business guy i don't ask for money i make money and so we were just really struggling with it but as again a daily prayer what do we do with this 
and God moving, my dad said, Gary, you don't have to twist people's arms. You just need to tell them the story. If they want to join in, they can. And then just God working in me, I remember I, I really wanted this to be a family foundation, but kind of a turning point was on one short trip into town, I was struggling with it. And um, it just felt like God was saying, you know, this you're making this all about you, if you will. This is about your family foundation, and this is bigger. It's about, if you will, it's about my family. God said that. So ultimately, I just became convicted, and Marla was too, that we needed to let go and let God, if you will. So we ultimately took over and did a probationary year in 2004, and then we officially formed a new board and took over the ministry in 2005. And that was called Life International. And within a few years, as that started to grow, there was another Life International that asked us to change our name, which we were happy to do that. We then changed it to Life Song for Orphans, with the idea we're trying to create a life with song and joy for orphans. So that's how we got into Life Song. What I love about that story is it's just like you alluded to it so perfectly parallels the giving up of control that God drew you through in the whole process you went through with your business. He did it right over again as you stepped deeper into ministry. And and I think that's one of the greatest themes that we have seen over the many episodes we've done on the podcast is that humble obedience and obedience in in the really the deepest, most powerful form of that word, not obedience as a compulsion, but obedience as giving up control to God. That is where the most powerful, adventurous, engaging stories come from. And when we're willing to step into that, that God rewards that by inviting us deeper and deeper in. And and clearly that has played out in your life. Maybe you can catch us up to speed now because I know Lifesong has grown significantly since that time. What do things look like today? What kind of work is Lifesong doing? And what kind of strategies are you using to uh, accomplish the the mission that you've set out on? Yeah, so what has happened, and and I, I just feel like, not to talk numbers, but just to put it in perspective, back then what we had was we had like a $300,000 budget and we, we set aside part of the money to be directly in ministry and then we set aside another part to start another business that then would feed the, the ministry as was our plan as a family foundation. Um, but when we got into Lifesong and we started meeting people, it's really been just a journey of understanding how big the body of Christ is. And, and we knew that before, but but now we've experienced it. So we feel it from a different gut level. And and Lifesong has become more than what we dr- dreamed about or thought. And the, this we're approaching $40 million budget a year. And we started out primarily in adoption, but then through the journey to Ukraine, we're in 14 countries. Those are primarily what we call orphan and vulnerable children care. So still a major a part of what we do is adoptions here in the U.S. And, and our care for kids around the world. One of the things that we try to do around the world, and it's a work in progress, but 
if you will, when we went over to see Dennis, and again, Patricia had, it was more of a humanitarian aid ministry, if you will. She had a wonderful heart, and then she saw Dennis really wanting to dive deeper with the kids as far as getting the church involved. That's where she was praying for somebody. But with that thought in mind, we wanted to make sure it was a deep ministry, life-changing. That was Dennis's heart, and that was Patricia's heart, too. So we came up with what we call four-part pledge, that if we get involved in orphan and vulnerable children care around the world, these are four things that an adoptive family or I want for my kids. The first thing is that we disciple them in Christ. That's the most important. Two is that we take care of their physical needs, food, clothing, medical care, shelter. Three is that we give them a good education. And four is that as they age out, like my baby now is 39 years old. I still have a a father heart. Marla is uh, very much a mother heart for our three girls. How can we do that? So that's the fourth pledge that there's ongoing support as they age out. And the fourth pledge is particularly challenging to do that, but that's our goal. And so, yeah, it's grown to, we've helped over 10,000 kids be adopted and we've got roughly 10,000 kids around the world. And and it's just been uh, quite a blessing. I talked to two young men from Zambia this morning. That's I would have never had that privilege before. I can go ahead and say this. At this point, I see Lysong in three areas. The, the main part is the direct ministry that I've talked about, adoption in orphan and vulnerable children. But then the, in another division that, that, frankly, where I want to spend my time that God gives me left focused on is the, the middle and the right division. When I say right, I'm talking about if I was drawing them up for you from left to right. On the left side is the Orphan and Vulnerable Children Care Ministry. The, in the middle is sustainable business, businesses that are in country. Zambia, as a great example, our kids are graduating from there and it's 70 to 80% unemployed. The sustainable business, we have basically four goals of one is that it provides jobs and leadership opportunities for our kids. One is that it's business that actually makes money and can sustain ministry. The third is that if we try something and it works, can it be duplicated and replicated? I think a lot of what Chick-fil-A has done, how they just replicated it, and I really like that. At this stage of life, I'm much more into replication than I've been before. But the fourth one is, too, I'm really interested in is giving people opportunity, just like me. If I didn't have this broken experience that I did, I would be doing something totally unrelated, and it wouldn't be near as fulfilling. So what we're trying to do is connect people that have business experience to a shepherd and fund a business startup. And so those are our four goals in sustainable business. And then here in the States, we have what we call impact business. And and impact business is just with my experience of having, through National Christian Foundation and Impact Foundation, of having understand how the tax advantages that you can have and to get people involved as strictly stewards versus having their own ownership. We're 
developing businesses in the states that are part of it. The funding will be for Lifesong, but part of it will be for whatever ministry the stewards want to do. So those are sustainable business and impact businesses where I'm shifting my focus, where I think instead of spending 70 to 80% of my time over in orphan and vulnerable children care, still will be a part of that, but we have people that are handling that. And I want to really focus on the business aspects at this point, which is where I feel that God can use me the most. So Gary, where did this idea for leveraging business within a ministry context actually come from? And why is that a differentiator for your organization? Yeah, well, first of all, going back to uh, Blackaby, who wrote the book Experiencing God, he said, if you want to experience him, see where he's moving and join in that movement. And as Lifesong, we see a lot of people interested in doing that. Through the association with NCF and Impact Foundation, we see that growing trend and I just believe that it's a wave that God is creating. And, and so I want to experience God and join in that movement. Uh, that's, that's number one. Number two, it, it just really became very clear from the sustainable business side when you're talking about Zambia as an example. 70 to 80% unemployed. And, and thinking of the body of Christ, the Scripture teaches that no part is better than the other, but they, they work together. And if you take an American businessman mindset and then use that to join that with and steward some young people in Zambia, that's the body of Christ working together. And it's, it's a real need. And in addition, we have a, a counselor that is at Moody. He's a professor from Moody Bible Institute, and his focus there is intercultural disciplines. So he sees a growing trend, and we see it too. For instance, in India, there is much more openness to outside business coming in than there is for an NGO coming in and teaching Christian values. So there's this opportunity to use business to not only reach the kids in a deeper way because it's not just Sunday, you're, you're with them as they grow up. So it's, a, it's an opportunity to continue discipleship from what happened in school. But it's a growing trend for the reasons I've mentioned that I feel God is really moving. And I would just invite any listener who is interested in experiencing God to contact me. I'd love to dream with them how they might be able to be involved. On impact business here in the States, Early on, when I was struggling with getting people to give money to us so we could help, and part of it, again, maybe have came from pride, but as my dad had said, you don't twist anybody's arm, just ask them to join in. What we decided during that time is if I was going to ask somebody to join in and give to a family, adoptive family, or Ukraine, is that we would use our foundation to cover any of our fundraising and admin costs. So we call that 100% pledge. So if somebody wanted to give to, like I said, a, a couple adopting, 100% of it would go to them. Nothing would be taken out. But over time, LifeSong has grown, so it's actually outgrown our foundation. We have a, a select group of uh, close partners that pay help us pay for that fundraising and admin at this time. But we're wanting to develop businesses that part of that they're 
giving that they can do will go to pay for fundraising and admin of Lifesong as time goes into the future. And But we also really like the idea of it's in the impact business. It's not strictly for Lifesong. It's also for other businesses. And so Marla and I are frankly really enjoying the, of the three businesses. We're starting to get a cash flow of giving money. And frankly, what happens is Marla directs it, whatever goes to non-Lifesong. And she likes that. It's something that I can pass on, that we can pass on to our kids, that our kids will have a giving engine, if they will. That And and then part of it I direct with me and Marla, I direct where it's going to go to help Lifesong. So we're really excited about impact business from the standpoint of creating giving engines for ourselves and and to get other people involved. Again, this journey for me was from becoming from an ownership to stewardship. And so I want to be used however God wants me to use in that and that journey. Yeah, I think there's such a powerful concept in the idea of a giving engine like that and the partnership with ministry, ongoing, sustainable work towards God's kingdom. And like you said, inviting in all of the business skills that are throughout the body of Christ and infusing them into the the direct tangible work of building God's kingdom. I imagine somebody listening right now and all kinds of lights going off saying, this is what I want to do. I want to be a part of building something like this. Where would you recommend they go to get started in kind of building some kind of a giving engine like that, that much like uh, you guys have done at Lifesong. Yeah. So first of all, I would say there's two groups that have been really helpful for us. One is National Christian Foundation, who we got started with and uh, have walked the longest. But then because of uh, a thing called UBIT, which is unrelated business income tax, as we started getting more into to business under National Christian Foundation, they recommended that we talk with the folks at Impact Foundation. And that was a couple people that were in National Christian Foundation that actually formed Impact Foundation. And they got what is called a private letter ruling from the IRS that relates to UBIT, Unrelated Business Income Tax. So primarily, we hold the businesses that we have uh, in Impact Foundation, and we use National Christian Foundation as a way to get giving funds to our what is called donor advice funds. So money that is made in a business that is held in Impact Foundation as it gives out uh, giving, then that part of that will flow over to Marla's giving fund in National Christian Foundation. So those two are really, they're on top of it. They both have have been just so great for us. I'm not a detailed person by nature. I love the service they give, and it's been a wonderful relationship with both of those groups. I would say another way to get involved is just to think in terms of your own business if you have a business that's making money, you know, what I was taught was you can you can start in this process by giving stock away. And again, National Christian Foundation or Impact Foundation can guide you how to do that. But you can do that in step-by-step process. 
Well, I would say from an impact standpoint, get your people more involved in discipleship. That's an ongoing thing that I wouldn't say that we have are real good at yet, but we're growing in that. It really helps when a company, though, if, if your employees know that the primary purpose, in, in our case, is for Lifesong. And in one of the businesses that we have been associated with, their consultant was coming in on a periodic time, and, and at one point he pulled me aside, and I wasn't really that involved in it because I was focusing on Lifesong, but he shared with me that he had interviewed all the the management team of that company, and there was maybe 15, 20 people in that group, and he said everyone mentioned that what gives them more meaning is knowing that what they're doing is, is helping orphans within Lifesong for Orphans. So if your employees know that, it's not just going to make somebody wealthy. It's going for a purpose, and we're all working together for a, a cause bigger than ourselves. That makes it more meaningful for your employees. And then I would throw out this uh, that is just feel free if you ever think you would want to be involved in other countries. We can be a connector, whether you work through Lifesong or not. But I, I would be glad to talk to anybody because my goal is – Again, if God hadn't broken me, I wouldn't be doing this, and I, I want to help stimulate other people getting into uh, direct ministry through their business. I'm, I'm passionate about it. Gary, where can people who are listening learn more about the work that Lifesong is doing, both with caring for orphans and also with some of the stuff you're talking about with this business mindset being applied in a ministry context? Yeah, like first of all, our website is simply lifesong.org. So you can see that if they want to talk more specifically about business, I would suggest that they contact me or Rod direct. And I would suggest they would copy K. But my address is simply Gary at lifesong.org. And K is who is our administrative assistant is Kay at lifesong.org. And I would suggest copying her on it because I'm not very organized by nature. And Kay will help me follow through. Can I tell you a story how I met Rod? Yeah, please do. And, and uh, just as a reference for everybody who's listening, so Rod Brenneman, which I think Gary is about to tell us the story of, has been intimately involved with a lot of the giving engines and the building of business into some of what Lifesong is doing. And we had the chance to talk to him back on episode 41. So Gary, maybe you can tell us a little bit about where you guys met and how some of that came to be. Yeah. So again, when you get into being a steward, God is an almighty door opener. And at one point early in the journey, I had another business that was a pig business, genetic business. And as in numerous of my ideas, because a lot of my ideas don't work, it was struggling. It was doing somewhat okay, but it was really struggling. And then we got an offer to sell it. At that point, Marla and I, I remember, were down in Florida. And we had roughly two to three weeks that we were supposed to get back to this company and say, do we, do we want to accept the offer to sell what we called Ausgene. It stood for Australian Genetics. We had imported some 
Australian pigs that I thought was going to be change the swine industry that I thought were just great. And the reality is five or six later, it was limping along. So we had this opportunity to sell Ausgene, but I was struggling. It, it wasn't a great offer. It would not totally overcome all the losses, but it would definitely fill in the hole a little bit. But the thing that came to mind as I was down in Florida was there was a company called Seaboard Milling that was a big integrated pork production company that were testing our genetics. And if they felt like their, their genetics would really work, it could have been a game changer for our little company, Ausgene, because they would become a large customer. And probably, I'm guessing here, six months or so before, uh, I had been out and visiting. They were from Kansas City, and I had been out visiting them with our guy that was leading Ausgene. And we ate out that night, and I had remembered there was like eight people, I think, four on each side at sitting at a meeting as we ate dinner. And it was just a spirit reminded me of this guy. I didn't even know for sure his name, but I knew, I was pretty sure he was the leader of Seaboard Milding. And I just had this gut feeling that I thought he was a Christian, but I, again, kind of remembered his name, but I didn't know for sure. So I just told Marla, I just want to, I don't know if it's appropriate that I reach out to that guy, but I kind of like to talk to him before we accept or reject this offer to buy the company because they could be a game changer. But I don't know if it's appropriate if I even reach out. So we're both kind of praying about it, uh, and we're down in Florida, and within the week, then we're going home. And we're in the Fort Myers Airport in the line, and I literally turned to Marla, who is right next to me, and I said, Marla, he's right in front of me. And Rod was, there was one person between me and Rod. And with all my experiences that I've shared, I just felt this is another divine appointment. And so we went through security. I saw him sitting down at a gate, which was different than my gate. And I went up and introduced myself and got his name and contact information. And then I just sat on it for a couple of days just to pray about and reflect. But then I basically wrote him an email and told him what I've just shared and said, would it be all right if I came out to Kansas City and talked to you about this? And and then Rod wrote back and said how he is a believer and that God works in mysterious ways and he would be glad to meet with me. So I went out there and he basically said he didn't know what was going on with the test. He wasn't that close to it, but he felt like his advice was when we're in genetic business, that it was really taking more capital, more money than what we had to do it well. And so that was his general advice, which I took, and we did sell the company. But then we got into, he started asking me questions like, how much is enough? And asked me questions about my journey. And then he ultimately became the CEO of Butterball Turkey, and I would reach out to him every once in a while. And just had a good relationship, and, and at this point, Rod is our board chairman and has been just a wonderful counselor and blessing to me, and we're very different. I'm more of the create person. He's more of the follow-through, 
and it makes it a good good combination. And even with the way, as an example, there is this young man that I met in Ukraine. He is like a son to me. His name is Dennis. He has one of his sons is called Nikita Gary. So I've got a namesake over in Ukraine after me, although I would rather have him been called Gary Nikita. But anyway, it's <laughs> Nikita Gary. But what has happened is Dennis is like a son to me, but Dennis has become quite a businessman. And Rod is his main mentor. So Rod is meeting with Dennis almost on a weekly basis. And that's the type of thing that I love to, to stimulate is Rod now has had that relationship. I want to replicate that and over and over with people that we have. We've got lots of young men and women, particularly in Zambia now, which is our main focus, and Uganda, that I would love to be a connector like I was with Rod. Yeah, it's, it's certainly always incredible how God weaves all these stories together. He's got the whole plan in mind. And, you know, if you're just willing to take one step ahead of those divine appointments like that, then the rest is history. Well, as we get to the end of the episode, I wanted to leave some time for our manager's minute. So we like to end every episode with just a practical action our listeners can take to step into their role as stewards and manage God's wealth wisely. So Gary, do you have a suggestion for our listeners today? Yeah, so that's an easy one for me, and I've already shared it, but it is just this daily time with the Lord. And I love the Lord's Prayer for the reasons I've said, but I will do that daily, and I, I go out there and give us today our daily bread. That's the time where I just reflect, and I bring up business issues with my almighty business partner, and, and then I listen. And it may not come all at once. Uh, basically, the way I feel God's leading is, number one, with me, ideas come and go all the time. So I've got to give an idea some time. I need to bathe it with prayer as I go in the hot tub. Uh, so I, I bathe it with prayer over time. And then I, with the combination of time, Counsel from other godly men uh, and women that I trust. I I look to having a peace about a direction, and if I get that peace, then I move on it. And I'm willing to take risk. I don't want to be taking a big financial risk, but I, I do want to always be willing to take risk. I I think a faithful steward, where Jesus said, "You have been faithful in little." In that parable, he told, you've been to the faithful steward, the one person he gave in the parable that gave talents to, buried it. And he was very hard on that. But to the other two that grew it, he said, you've been faithful in little, now be faithful in much. And if you seek God, bathe it with prayer, have a peace about it, then go forward and, and take some risk. And it'll be an exciting ride for you. And and actually, I'm going to maybe share this poem that you can use or not, but I'm going to just share something with you. To me, if if you do that, if you, you know, really talk to God about your business in a very personal, expectant way, give it some time, then be willing to take risk. And this author is unknown, but this has been the 
story that I've been really enjoying. It's called Living the Adventure. And it says this. It's, a, again, a poem by an author unknown. When I met Christ, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring and predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my lords and mine, and we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I found that in giving, I received. I did not trust him at first and control my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it bend to make sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to fly to short and scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal. So that's been the adventure. Yeah, that is, is such a beautiful picture of really a lot of the life that you have led, um, but also the life that all of us are called into if we will simply trade seats, like you said. Yeah. Well, Gary, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. This has been a fantastic conversation. So grateful for all that God has done in and through you and excited to see what's coming next around the bend. Yep. Well, me too. Hey, it's been great being with you. Appreciate your faith and what you're doing, getting the word out for many on not just my story, but lots of stories. And it's the body of Christ all working together. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you want to find any references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 91. Before we finish up, I have a quick question for you. Have you ever stopped to answer the question, how much is enough? A financial finish line is designed to help you do just that. Our 90-day finish line pledge breaks down the process into three easy steps. Step one, define how much is enough for you and your family to spend in a single month and use that as your monthly spending budget for 90 days. Step two, as God provides money to manage, set aside any margin outside of your finish line into a separate bank account. And step three, after 90 days, explore the million ways you can use the margin you've set aside to create joy, purpose, and impact in God's kingdom. Want to learn more? Check out our website at finishlinepledge.com. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time.